Thank you for tuning in to today's audio message. Here at Temple Baptist Church, we are a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you this morning. Uh, thanks for coming back. Um, I was sitting over here, and I just noticed that Peggy Newhart is here. And Peggy, we have prayed for Peggy. Like, we have prayed for a couple of years, actually. And uh, she had surgery that finally has corrected a problem that she's had for the last couple of years. And it was a, quite a serious surgery. And um, I remember when she came to my office, and I was surprised when she said this. She says, now, if I don't make it through, I'm like, what are you talking about? We've already prayed. You're going to make it through, and you're going to be back here dancing soon. So uh, anyway, just great to have you back, uh, Peggy. We really, uh, as the prayer of God's faithfulness. And so it's good to have you here. Well, we are in week four of our series called Every Day. We're, we're, we're walking through the book of James, just a small little book, five chapters, and, but it, boy, it has a punch. And all scholars agree that James is actually the oldest book of the New Testament. So you just think about that. We're reading a letter that was sent to someone, to sent a, a group of Christians who are persecuted. Like we have a copy of the letter that is 2,000 years old. I know sometimes we go through our history and, and our family history and I go, oh, there's a letter that my grandmother wrote 50 years ago and I treasure it and I'm like, that is amazing, 50-year-old letter. But we're holding a letter that was written 2,000 years ago, the oldest book of the New Testament. So long before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were ever written, like 10, 15, 20 years before the Gospels were written, the book of James was written. Before the Apostle Paul ever wrote First and Second Corinthians and, um, and that goldmine of theology book of Romans, the book of James was written. And I find it absolutely fascinating that the half-brother of Jesus who did not believe anything that Jesus said while he was on earth writes a book about faith and it has been preserved for us. 2,000 years later. And James is an echo of Jesus' teaching. You know, some people say, well, James actually only mentions Jesus twice in his book. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. And so some people say, well, maybe it doesn't really tie in to what Jesus was teaching. Some say, well, James is just a moralistic book about behavior, not really having any deep roots into the teaching of Jesus. But actually, when you study it, you realize that James is actually a commentary on the teachings of Jesus. You think of the most famous sermon that's ever been preached and recorded, it's the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus on the mountainside, and he's preaching to thousands, and he's saying, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, and, you know, and blessed are the meek, and, and blessed are those who hunger and thirst after God. And James just wheezed right through that. It's like a commentary. In fact, the end of his sermon on the Sermon on the Mount, I'm just going to take a quick moment to read it to you, because it ties so perfectly into James. And in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, it's the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Famous, been recorded and talked about and preached about uh, for thousands of years. But listen how that sermon ends, the sermon that Jesus preached. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is a wise man who builds his house on a rock. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the wind blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority So just think about that. Jesus is talking about, it's not just about listening. He's saying it's all about doing. A person who built his life and lives his life on on Jesus Christ, his house stands. It's a strong foundation. So very interesting how the book of James just kind of weaves and and backs up as a commentary on Jesus' teaching. 
Now, of course, the overall concern that James has is that Christians would actually walk in the way of Jesus, even in the midst of persecution. As we have said already, this letter is written to those who are running for their lives. Uh, Persecution is an all-time high. And so James is writing to them to talk about living in the way of Christ, you know, building their lives on Jesus the rock. See, James is deeply concerned that circumstances may change people's perspective and all of a sudden not live no longer the way that Jesus has taught us to live. And James is concerned that people are building their lives on sand and not rocks. And so here we get this front row seat in the book of James as it really helps explain the teachings of Jesus. And James is talking about behavioral struggles that we all have. He gets right to the heart of the problem, and he's addressing issues that genuine followers of Jesus struggle with. And as I said before, James never talks about perfection. It's only ever about progress. See, James is saying, if you are a believer in Christ, and and you came to know Jesus as your Savior 10 years ago, the way you live your life today should be be a lot different than it was 10 years ago, because you've matured, you've grown up. And that's what James is telling us. James knows that God does not want us to just remain as spiritual little babies, you know, little spiritual toddlers crawling around on our hands and knees. And so James is concerned that those who have a faith, that, that it's real, that it's genuine, that it's not just a listening faith, but actually it's a doing faith. Because James says, you know, people deceive themselves. They deceive others, but incredibly they deceive themselves to think they have something that they genuinely do not have. And so with that, can we just pray for a moment as we look into God's Word? Father, thank you this morning for this little book. We pray that as we make our way through it, we will see Jesus. I pray, God, that it just our attention would be just constantly focused to the one who has changed our lives because of the cross of Christ. So, God, even take our, our few minutes that we have here together and lift your son up in Jesus' name. Amen. April 27th. 1948, Frank Williams Abagnale was born into an affluent family in New Rochelle, New York. He was educated in a very strong religious environment where he began to learn right from wrong. And yet it wasn't long that he became known as a con artist. His first victim, his own father. At 15 years of age, he was able to scam $3,500 from his dad. At age 15, he was also able to perfectly replicate payroll checks, and he deposited them into his own personal account. In fact, as a teenager, he once uh, uh, found out where the United Airlines made their nightly money deposits and where the Hertz Rental Company made their nightly deposits. And he came up with this idea, I'm going to go buy a security guard outfit from a costume shop. And he put a sign on the Dropbox that said, Dropbox, um, out of service. And then on the bottom it says, um, place the money with a guard on duty. And people did. Oh, the box is broken. Give it to the guard. A complete con artist, pretending to be something that he never, ever was. And then he presented himself as a federal aviation pilot, forged his pilot's license, and flew with Pan American World Airlines. He got over 250 free flights around the world, pretending to be a pilot. Never having to fly a plane, just always getting those free seats as a pilot. In fact, he managed to forge his way to look like he was an educated professor. He taught at a university for a semester of sociology. For 11 months, believe it or not, for 11 months, Frank impersonated uh, the chief resident pediatrician at a Georgia hospital. Frank also forged a Harvard a university law transcript, posed as, a, posed as a lawyer, and was hired, got a job at the Louisiana State Attorney General's office as a lawyer. He took the identity of a prison inspector 
for the Bureau of Prisons. He impersonated and conned people into believing he was an FBI agent. And after almost getting caught, he fled to Canada, to Montreal, because he had deposited $20,000 in a deposit box. And as he was at the Dorval Airport, hoping to fly to Brazil, an RCMP police officer caught him, had him extradited back to the United States, and guess what he's doing today? You would think he's behind bars. No, he actually teaches at the FBI Academy. (laughs) Teaching people how to catch a con artist. And he's been doing it for 40, 40 years. They made a movie about his life, Catch Me If You Can. I think Leonardo DiCaprio was in that. Pretending to be something that he wasn't. You know, sometimes churches can have people who pretend to be something they're just not. And James talks about actually how people self-deceive themselves. I have a friend of mine, when I used to pastor in Virginia, we had a number of people in our church that were secret service um, agents, and they were undercover FBI agents. And, And I remember specifically talking to this one guy. He says, when you are undercover, when you pretend for years to be something that you're not, you begin to believe the lie. Like he says, there were times that I started to deceive myself that I was somebody that I actually really wasn't. And James is telling us that that is a great danger. He says that there are people who so deceive themselves to think that they have something that they're not. And so that's why we're investing time into the book of James, because James is really, he's trying to be very clear for us to be able to distinguish between a follower of Jesus and just a fan of Jesus. See, there are authentic Christians, and then there are just uh, Christians. And James is teaching us how to distinguish between the two. And every church has them. That's That's the reality. We have authentic believers in Jesus, and then there's those who just kind of have a a listening kind of Christianity. And, and, and James is trying to describe for us what the real deal looks like versus maybe what a fake looks like. And I'm just now beginning to grasp the fact that people so self-deceive themselves to think they have something that they really don't have. That's why when you study the book of James, sometimes it stings because you're like, ooh, that's kind of in my face. It's kind of pointing out something uh, in my life. And what I love about James, he makes it so very clear. He does not talk in confusing uh, words. He's a straight shooter. He doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't talk about some high-in-the-sky pie conversations. No, he's talking about the real deal. He's talking about taking our faith to the streets, like the Doobie Brothers, you know, taking it to the streets. I don't know. I don't think I know that tune. So what does James have for us today then? Well, let me just say, you better brace yourself because we may all squirm a little bit in our seats. You may feel today some beads of sweat going down the side of your forehead. You actually may feel like you need to get up and go get a glass of water because it might get a little hot in here as we look at what James has to say. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to James chapter 1. We're still in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And we're going to be picking up in verse 19. James 1, pick it up in verse 19. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says was like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. 
But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and the widows and their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Anybody recognize this logo? Can you pull that logo up? Anybody know what that logo is? It's Nike. Everyone seems to know this logo. Uh, Does anybody know their slogan? Just do it. (laughs) Nike has spent billions of dollars on this uh, marketing scheme about just doing it. See, Nike says, listen, go get the sneakers, go get the cleats, go get the ice skates, go get the shorts, get the runners, and go do it. (laughs) Nike is all about applying what you have. Very similar to what the Bible talks about. See, Nike says, no more excuses, you got it. You got the runners, you got the cleats, go down and play on the soccer field. You got the ice skates, go out on the ice. Just do it. Now, I think maybe we may be tempted to think that this slogan, just do it, came up at some New York, you know, office. But the reality is, the Bible talked about this long before Nike ever came up with it. Written a small little book. James thought of this whole concept. Just do it. Because James really wants to help us understand what an authentic faith looked like what it looks like when you grow up, when you apply what you already know. It's about Christian principles and Christian data and everything that we know about the Christian life and then applying it. I mean, it's so easy to explain it. It's easy to agree with it. But the question is, what are we doing with our part of just doing it? That's what James is addressing here. It's all about taking the information that God gives us, and applying it. And James says that application is the key. You want to grow in your faith? You want to become mature in your faith? Application is the key. That's what he means. James says if you want to have a deep and a maturing faith, you got to put it into action. Now, I understand that today's message is is kind of geared more toward the believer this morning. And so maybe you're here this morning, and you're like, you're just kind of checking things out about Jesus. I still want you to hear, listen to this because when you make that decision to follow Jesus, this will be very important to you. And it will also help you understand and distinguish between a Christian and an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. I don't know how many people here have played hockey. I'm assuming probably most guys have probably played hockey or soccer. And um, I want you to picture this. Let's just say, well, let's take up hockey. Let's just say the ice is in your end. The defensemen get the puck. The right defenseman passes it to the left defenseman. The left defenseman pass, uh, passes to the right wing. And the right wing gets the puck, and he does nothing with it. And you're like, go, move, do, do something. And you're like, hmm, you kind of scratch your head. He's got a puck, and he's not even doing anything with it. And you lose game after game after game. You're like, man, something has got to change. They just stood there. They received the puck. Or maybe soccer, right? You're going up the field and you kick the ball over to the the person on the right. And he gets the ball. The crowd yells. And he stops and doesn't do anything with it. You'd be like, well, (laughs) that's crazy. I mean, what about if Sidney Crosby, that's how he dealt with it. When he got the puck, he just stopped. He'd never be the player, obviously, that he's known today. Well, James is saying, you know, that's what Christians sometimes do. They receive the word, and it stops there. They don't do anything. You know, we accept the word of God. We receive the word of God, and we just stand there. 
And James is saying, get those skate blades, dig them in, and skate. Get those cleats, get them in the field, and run down the field with the ball. Run. Kick it into the net. Shoot that puck into net. See, a vertical relationship must have a horizontal expression. That is absolutely true. A vibrant faith produces a righteous life. A vibrant faith produces a righteous life. And I think that's what James is really trying to tell us here. I mean, God doesn't mind us living in the world, but He doesn't want us to love this world. Don't love the world more than the God who put you in this world. I mean, I believe the world was a gift from God for us to enjoy, but not more than the, the giver of the gift. I, I heard Tony Evans give this illustration. I think it's a great illustration. You can imagine a lady receives this incredible diamond ring from her handsome boyfriend, and now they're engaged. And she goes around and she talks all the time about the ring. It's so beautiful. Have you seen it? My ring. It's like two and a half carats. I think it's bigger than Elizabeth Taylor's. I bet you the queen would want a ring like this. And then you're at the wedding. The vows are being given. And, and you say, do you promise to love? Yes, I promise to love and hold this ring. <laughs> yeah. I, pra- I plan in sickness and health to hold on to it. No, that's crazy. That someone would talk about the ring more than the person who gave it. And this, this is what James is talking about. And James is taking this. You, you've been given a gift, so take this word and plant it in you. This word, the word, the word of God. It ought to transform your life, your conversations, your conduct, your compassion. See, so the bottom line is genuine faith goes from just listening to actually living. That's a genuine faith. We humbly accept the word of God that's been planted in us. Now, James says here about, and you shall be saved. This is not talking about salvation. Uh, because James is already, already writing to believers who are on the run. So he's not saying that you'll be saved. But I do believe he, what he is saying is when you, when you take the word of God and you plant it and you live it out, I think it saves you from living a worthless life with selfish ambitions. It gives you something bigger to live for. I understand that faith begins by listening. We talk about that. It talks about that in Romans when Paul talks about that. I mean, how shall people, you know, hear? I mean, if somebody doesn't go, so you got to go, you got to tell, and people begin to listen. That's where faith begins. But it can't stop there. It can't just stop with listening because faith results in living. And James gives us a whole bunch of reasons why you just can't stop. You got to go beyond just listening. And and 122, he says, you deceive yourself if you just listen. Like imagine, you deceive yourself. You're fooling yourself. It's one thing to be fooled by others, but it's another thing to be fooled by yourself. And then that word hearer or, or listener the, the idea, the original language here has this idea of auditing a class. I don't know if anybody's ever audited a, a class in college. I, I've been in college before where people were auditing, and I always felt they never had any pressure on them. <laughs> hey, they take it or leave it. They can show up, but they don't have to show up because they're just auditing. You know, they can sit back and cool out a little bit. No stress, no pressure. Just auditing a course. You know... Sometimes that's how Christians do church. Just audit. Just audit the course. Kind of sit back, relax. I think it's got the church in trouble. By people who maybe just audit. You know, sure, we can cruise in and we can say, ah, oh, man, I love the message. <laughs> 
I love the songs, of the, you know, the words of the songs. I love that my kids are involved in the children's program. I love that my teens are connecting with their peers. But for you personally, there's we just back an audit. Uh, no testing, no pressure. I can actually just put it on autopilot. I can simply listen and audit. But we're not just talking about information. We're talking about transformation. We're talking about doing something with what you've been given that changes everything for you. And James says, if you're just listening, James is like in your face. He says, actually, you're deceiving yourself if you think that's what Christianity is all about, that you just listen and don't have to do anything with it. Well, what do you mean, Donald? Or what does James mean when he says you deceive yourself? Well, how can I deceive myself? It means you've come to a conclusion by false reasoning. Mm-hmm. You've come to a conclusion by false reasoning. Because sometimes, and I've been guilty of this, you know, thinking, well, if I go to church every week, and I hear, and, and, I, and I get involved in some midweek program, and I listen... Well, then everything is okay. I'll be spiritually mature. And James says, whoa, whoa, no way. (laughs) It goes beyond just listening. It goes beyond just hearing. The deal that James is talking about is application. What you know and applying it. That's where the maturity comes from. That's when you start going into the deep end of the pool. And you get out of the shallow end where the toddlers are. And your faith has a depth, and it's real. Jesus said it, and James says it over and over and over again. The deal is application. The deal is just do it. So don't merely listen and sit back and audit and deceive yourself. Do what it says. Like, do what it says. Because there's a big difference, my friend, between mere Christians and authentic Christianity. Listening and doing is like the difference between reading a restaurant menu and eating the food. I've only been to one five-star restaurant in my life. I had two teenagers. I was interning at a church as a youth pastor, and two teens decided they were going to take me to this five-star restaurant. I said, oh, guys, you know, let's just go to McDonald's. No, no, no. We're going to the only five-star restaurant in our city. And so I was waiting for them to pick me up, and woo, up came a limousine. I was like, what is going on? And I got in the limousine, and we went downtown, and went to this restaurant, and I remember opening up the menu, and it always makes me nervous when there's no prices. That is your first sign to get out for me. And I said to the guys, I said, they were like 18 years old, 17 and 18. I said, guys, let's just go somewhere. No, 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 we're eating here. And I remember opening the menu. I was like, oh, my word, you know, prime rib with a tail of lobster, you know, like, I don't know, freshly grown carrots from Venezuela with (laughs) orange juice squeezed from Brazil. Like, it's unbelievable, the menu. Now, you can imagine if I looked over that menu, like, this is incredible, and shut it up and left the restaurant. (laughs) What good would that be? That's what James was trying to say. Like, just, just listening, but not doing. And believers can be like that. They listen. You know, they listen day and night. They say they agree. They say my soul resonates with that truth. But the application is never put in, in action. See, it's easy... It's easy for me to highlight my Bible. It's very different for the Bible to highlight my life. And James has a great concern about that. And that's why he just says, you got to do it. What you hear, go and do. A.W. Tozer, some of you may know him. His final years as a pastor was in Toronto. Uh, an author, pastor for many years, he wrote this. Of all forms of deception, 
Self-deception is the most deadly. And of all deceived persons, the self-deceived are the least likely to discover the fraud. Because you, you become both a predator, a perpetrator, and the victim. Maybe you're here this morning, and uh, you're religious, but your faith is not making a difference in how you live out your daily life. It doesn't affect you. Like It doesn't alter how you treat your wife when you speak to her. It doesn't change you when you interact with your children. James says, your faith ought to make a difference in every part of your life. Genuine faith does, does change how you live. It can't be put any simpler than that. Now, James is great with word pictures. He talks about the mirror. The mirror. And what he says, the reason he talks about this, is he uses it as an illustration to drive a point home. Because the Bible is like a mirror. Now, this morning, when I woke up, most times when I wake up, it's kind of a freak show, right? Hair is up on his end. I, I don't mean to, but I drool a lot. I don't know why at night. So, you know, you're waking up and you take a glance in the mirror. And go, Whoa. Donald, do something about that. You know, you jump in the shower, you try to wake up, wet down the hair, try to put some gel in it. You know, you're like, oh, there's a seed in my tooth. You know, pick out that seed, that black seed. In my. So this morning... True, true story. This morning, I showered, I shaved, blew dry my hair, and I went downstairs to iron my shirt, and my mom came in and said, have you showered yet? <laughs> this is two hours of work, mom. <laughs> and James says, see, the thing with a mirror it shows the imperfections. You look at it, you, you see some of the problems, and then you address it. And you know what I found out about Sarnia? Sarnia loves mirrors. <laughs> They're everywhere. Every person I know has them in their house. You go to restaurants, they're there. <laughs> I bet you all of you used the mirror this morning. Well, maybe not everybody, but... Um, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just joking. That's a bad joke. Bad joke. Bad joke. <laughs> but chances are you probably used a couple different mirrors. Maybe you used the mirror in your bathroom this morning. Maybe you used the rear view mirror in your car when you came in. Maybe you've already been to the washroom here and you've used the mirror again. They're everywhere. And James is saying that the Bible is like a mirror. When you take it and you read it, and you absorb it, and you spend time in it, it begins to show some of the imperfections. It points out things. Things that need to be worked on. And what James says here in verse 23 and 24 of this chapter, he said the, the original language has this idea that people look in a mirror, but they only glance. It's like they go, it's a quick glance. And so they don't, they don't really see the problem. It, it's quick. And they don't see the differences that ought to transpire in our life. And so James is talking about this physical merit and comparing it to the Bible. And a lot of us, myself included, by the way, sometimes I just want to glance. I don't really want to spend too much time studying it. Because when I do, I find out some things in my personal life that I know that God still wants to work on. So sometimes just glancing is what I like to do. Because I don't see as many problems when I do that. I don't see the blemishes. I don't see all those wrinkles. But a mirror does show us the things that need to be changed. 
You know, there are a number of people who've had mirror moments in their life. I think of King David. When he studied God, and he said, who am I? Like, who am I that you would want to know me? So he studied to know God and, and see who God was, and he looked at his own life like, who am I that you would want to know me? I think of Isaiah in that mirror moment. Woe is me, a man of unclean lips who lives among people of unclean lips. He goes, but my eyes have seen the king. And his life was radically changed. One of those mirror moments. We don't always like to face the day looking like what we are when we get up in the morning. So we look in a mirror and we do something about it. So I may ask a question. Why wouldn't we do that with God's word? Why would we ever go through life and not take opportunities to look into his word? Like nobody's here is going to go a whole year without looking at a mirror. So why would we do that? As a follower of Jesus. And then James says, sometimes the mirror, we look at it, but we actually prefer to reflect someone else. Right? We, we go, no, no, I want to show the mirror to you. I want to show your problems. In fact, how many times have we, no, 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 I'm not going to read it, but here's your problem. There it is right there. I got lots of places too that show your problems. And James says that's sometimes a tendency for Christians. They don't want to spend too much time in front of the mirror because it kind of exposes some things. And so it's easier to point it at others. Even though the Bible does say, be careful when you're judging others. Because James is saying, what we need to do is just take a hard look at ourselves. Don't look to the right. Don't look to the left. But take a look at ourselves before the Lord. Before we ever begin to point fingers. Because sometimes when we begin to point fingers, we think we're farther ahead than what we really are. So James is just simply saying, don't play the game. James is saying, just stand in front of the mirror, pull up a chair, sit there, and let God point out some things in your life that need to change. And then, of course, it says in verse 25 there to look intently. Right? Like, take a very, very close look. Don't get easily distracted. Focus on really what needs to change in life. And then James says, when you do that, it's hard to believe this, but he says, there's freedom. There's actually freedom when you do that. And he says, not only is there freedom when you, when you take the, the word that has been implanted into you and you live it out, not only is there freedom, but it says, God blesses your life. Like, God blesses your life when you move from just listening and you become a doer of what he's asked you to do. I mean, how cool is that that God would bless you by just doing what he's asked us to do. If we look regularly, consistently, intentionally into the mirror and do something with what we see. But isn't that sad? Kind of sad, isn't it? That we would know probably Christians who just maybe look at the mirror on Christmas and Easter. or bi-monthly. And James is saying faith is more than that. A genuine faith. And honestly, sometimes when you read through this, I feel like James is going to be harsh. 
He doesn't seem to be worried about offending anybody. Like, it just seems like he's bold, he's right in your face with the truth. And then James continues on right there. He says, authentic Christianity has a pure speech. It does affect the way that you talk with one another, and you interact with one another, and how you talk about one another. James also said, says when you're, when you're a doer, it, it, not only does it affect your speech where you have pure speech, but you have a pure love. And James talks about two very vulnerable people in this day and age, and they were the widows and the orphans. Very vulnerable. And James says a pure religion is those who take care of those people. In our day and age, it may be a little bit different. Maybe it's the unwed teenage mom. Maybe it's someone with, with a mental uh, illness. Maybe it's... The, the child who's been thrown into foster care. Maybe it's the teenager who sits every day at the lunchroom by himself because he's so completely lonely. Vulnerable people. And James says, authentic Christianity has a pure love for the vulnerable. It changes how we interact with people. James also says that a, a pure religion, a, a, a faith that is alive and authentic, is also produces a pure character. I mean, it, it, it affects your attitude, it affects your speech, and if there is no difference, then those who are outside of the faith, James is simply saying, I think you just have a listening faith. It's not a, it's not a doing faith. See, a doing faith says it's going to affect the way I live out my life at work, in my neighborhood, my interaction with people. It affects how I deal with people on social media. And so James says, in light of who you are, a follower of Jesus, he's just saying it ought to affect how you conduct yourself. But sometimes you, you may run into a Christian who has a sense of entitlement, pride, maybe even angry. In fact, I know some Christians who are probably angrier now than they've ever been in their life. Just angry. And it comes out in their aggressive behavior. And James says, as you read through here, it's like, you know, remove it. Like, take it off. It's like going into a mudroom. You know, you're filthy dirty. Like, a lot of houses have these mudrooms. You come out through the garage, and this is where you get rid of your dirt, and you throw it into the laundry room. And that's kind of what James is saying here. Like, just, just get rid of that. Receive the gospel fresh and anew. Left to ourselves, honestly, we're a mess, but Jesus came to set us free from it all. And James just keeps beating on this drum. He doesn't let up. It's just over and over again about lifestyle. And he says, don't be deceived. See, James, some of the people that James is writing to have deceived themselves. And that's why he's addressing the issue with them. They've come and they listen, but nothing has changed in their lives. Their lives are filled with bad fruits. They're building a life on sand instead of building a life on Christ, a life of action. Because it isn't about just listening. It is about doing. And too many churches across North America and the world have people that come in deceived, deceived. And they've deceived themselves, thinking that I'm okay because I'm, I'm a listener, but just not a doer. And James says, pull up your chair and take a good hard look at what God says. So let me ask you a question. What areas of your life right now is not right with God? Think about that. Like what area in your life right now is not right with God? James is saying, it's time to address it. To do something about it. We all have to make choices. We all, all of us have choices to make. Do we continue to deceive ourselves by just hearing 
and not doing. If we are honest, I think we're just messing around. We become nothing but big talkers. <laughs> A big talker. You know, I've, I interact always with people all the time. And sometimes, you know, people will come in and, and, and maybe someone's preaching a message about finances, you know, and, and generosity and, and maybe giving and helping, uh, giving to the local church. And then they hear it, they go, oh yeah, that's good, but never do anything about it. So that's a listener and not a doer. Or, you know, maybe, you know, you, uh, Pastor Dave, let's say Pastor Dave's preaching on about loving your enemies, and you listen to it, and you walk out, and all you can do is berate your ex-spouse. See, that, that's, that's a listener, but not a doer. You know, sometimes you read through the Bible, and you come across the verse that says, you know, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Come and worship together. And then months go by. And see, that's, that's, that's a listener. That's someone who hears. But doesn't go be, beyond that. And this is, what I'm about to say is probably pretty strong, but I have a fear. This is my fear. That a new generation of kids are being raised in a Christian home where the Christian home are just people that are listeners, but not doers. You know, sometimes I wonder, you know, we look at stats all the time. Stats say all the time, the young people are just fleeing the church, never coming back. It used to be years ago, people, you know, teens and college would leave, but when they start having kids, they'd come back because they wanted that foundation. But that's not the story anymore. That's not the story. Today, there are many, many, the majority seem to be leaving and never coming back. And my fear is, are, is there a generation that is being raised in homes maybe that are just listeners and, and not doers? And I think, how has that happened? You know, maybe, maybe it's because some of, some, some of us preachers, you know, maybe we are so worried about offending people, we, don't, we kind of skirt away maybe from the truth. Maybe. Well, I'll tell you one thing. James is not afraid of offending anybody because he's more concerned about your relationship with Christ than making you feel good about something that you don't have. That's what James is dealing with. Because he's saying, you just got religion if you're a listener but not a doer. This made me strong. This is always, I wrestled with this. I feel that sometimes I'll interact with people who have put all of their confidence in maybe a prayer that they said at a backyard Bible club, but nothing has changed about their life. 50 years later, nothing has changed. Oh, but I remember I did this, but nothing has changed. I go, I wonder how real that was. I wonder. I'm not here to make people doubt their salvation. I'm just wondering, when you, when you walk with Christ, when, when you believe in Jesus Christ, it does change things. It's not about perfection. None of us will ever be perfect, but there ought to be some little bit of progress along the way. Genuine faith does not sit idle. Mm -mm. It does not sit idle doing nothing about what they hear or about what they read. It, it just doesn't. God came to give us an abundant life. Why in the world would we ever want to miss out on that? The, the one who has designed life is also the one who wants to give us an abundant life. He's told us how to have an abundant life, and we deceive ourselves to think, well, I think I can have a, a more abundant life on my own. Hmm. And that's when we begin to deceive ourselves. Charles Spurgeon, many of you may know of him, of course, a great preacher in England, and 
had an effect here in America as well. I love what he says. What would you say of a cook who prepares dinners for others and yet dies of starvation? Foolish cook, you say. Foolish hearers, say I. This is Spurgeon. Are you going to be like Solomon's friends, the Tyrrhenians, who helped build the temple and yet went on worshiping their idols? Sirs, are you going to look at the table of mercy, admire it, and yet refuse its provision? Does it give you a thrill of pleasure to see so many taken from the highways and hedges and brought in, and yet you stand outside and never partake yourself? He says, I always pity the poor little boy on a cold winter's night who stands outside a steaming cook's shop window and looks in and sees others feasting but has none for themselves. I cannot understand you, surgeon says. All things are ready and you are bid and persuaded to come and yet you are content to perish and hunger. I pray that you think of yourselves and I ask of the Spirit of God to make you doers of the Word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. I've read that a few times this week. It's like, yes. I get that. Well, here we are at the beginning of a brand new week. We have a whole week ahead of us. So let me ask a simple question. What are we going to do this week? What are we going to do with this week? It's a gift, by the way. Every new day is a gift that God has given to us. What are we going to do? Will we keep deceiving ourselves? And go on talking without walking what we believe? Let me encourage you, no matter how you have lived your past, let me encourage you, no matter how many mistakes you have made, let's start afresh and anew today. Let's leave here with a new spring in our step, like, yes, I am not just going to be a listener. I'm going to be a doer. I'm going to begin to have influence and impact on my family, my co-workers, the city that God has put us in. Let's make this week a week of new beginnings. Let's have this week free from deception. Let's actually walk what we talk and let our faith actually be seen in the streets where we go. Let's pray.